0: We all struggle with a temptation to sin. We all struggle with temptation to sin. Temptations are different for every single person. For instance, some of you, not all of you, but some of you probably had some struggles with gluttony on Thursday. Temptation to gluttony, right? It was Thanksgiving and boy... We've got a turkey here. Now, me, personally, I don't get tempted for gluttony with turkey. I'm not a turkey guy, right? You know, my, as a matter of fact, we had ham and chicken for, for, thanks, for Thanksgiving. Now, bacon, all things pig, really, is a temptation for me, Right? I want to explain temptation like this and I want you to understand this. This helps this. I use who is aware or familiar with what collard greens are. You know what collard greens are? Okay? This is a, you know a lot of times it's a southern thing, but I mean, I know that there's some people up north who eat them too. Now, you put a big hot bowl of seasoned collard greens on a table in front of me. And that is a temptation for me to get into those. Now, I'm not saying eating collard greens is sin. I know that some of you, like my wife, think that it's sinful to put a collard green in your mouth because, well, she doesn't like them. But you see, those are tempting to me. Those make my mouth water. Especially, I can peppers and I do it in a mixture of apple cider vinegar and sugar. And so that gets kind of sweet, hot kind of thing. And I take that juice and I'll pour it on greens. And to me, those are good. It's a temptation. But there are other people like my wife and maybe like most of you who are looking at those and you're like, I ain't eating those. There's no temptation there for you. Temptation is custom. Everybody has custom temptations. When it comes to sin, it's custom It's customized just for you. The temptations that the enemy comes at you with are customized just for you, for the things that you struggle with, for the things that you deal with. That temptation is aimed at you, and it's directed to you specifically. So you may be tempted uh, to be one of those guys who resorts to violence uh, on the road anytime somebody cuts you off. But other people may not struggle with that. And so the whole reality is about this is that sometimes when we don't struggle with a certain temptation, we think everybody else should be set free from that as well. And we kind of portray that image. We kind of look at other people like, well, I don't struggle with that, so you should surely not struggle with that. But each person has their own brand of temptation. The Apostle Paul talks about this a lot in his writings throughout the New Testament and about the struggle with temptation and about this battle that we're constantly going on in our lives. It's constantly going on. He writes about this a whole lot. But Romans chapter 7, the latter half of it, is one of the most intense places about this. He talks about it like this. He says, you know, I want to do good. I agree, and I'm paraphrasing the passage. I want to do good, and I agree that God's law is good. And yet I find myself doing the very evil that I don't want to do. And he goes through this whole thing, and in the end he says, And I find that it's a rule that when I want to do good, evil lies close at hand. This is the Apostle Paul. Some people would describe him as the super apostle. If anybody loved Jesus, Paul did. And here's Paul talking about his particular temptation. He's not saying the the nuts and bolts of everything that tempts him. But he's talking about how this is dealing in his life. And here's the thing. We have a hard time believing that the Apostle Paul had struggles with temptation. I'm not saying maybe none of us do, but Christianity in America has a temptation. Christianity in general has a, general has a temptation believing this, because I've heard theologians explain Paul talking about this here, saying that's the unsanctified Paul before he got filled with God's Spirit. Uh, really? <laughs> really? You know, I don't think so. This is a guy who loved the Lord, who, by the way, was filled with his spirit right after he got converted. We see that, right? His evidence of being filled with the spirit, bold preaching. That was his initial evidence of being filled with the spirit. Scales fell off of his eyes, and the next thing we know, he's out in the street preaching. It's one of the four times in the book of Acts where a new convert gets filled with the spirit and doesn't speak in tongues as evidence of being filled with the spirit. The other three times, tongues is evidence. Point of that? There's a bunch of different evidences. Tongues is one of them. But so is bold preaching. So is, boy, I used to really hate to serve, and now all of a sudden I like it. That could be a good evidence, right? Those, that, that's the weird one to me, but I, I digress. Paul talks about this a lot. So much is this with us that we are all familiar with images like this. I love it when spiritual truth is conveyed in ways like this. Bugs Bunny or Mickey Mouse or this old man. You know, you've got the angel on one shoulder. you got the little devil on the other shoulder. They're doing all that temptation stuff, right? And we can all laugh at this and, and we see this in our cartoons. We see this in, in pictures like this because everybody the world over knows that this is true. That we struggle with, with doing right or wrong. That's something that's going on inside of all of us. But even if you can't relate to this picture, you don't quite line up with this picture, we have to admit that we're all in a constant struggle against sin. But what if I told you today that you could have victory conquering temptation? What if I told you today that you could have victory conquering temptation that, that, that beating temptation could become easier and easier? That's victory by the way, that it becomes easier and easier, not that it never happens. that you sin less and less. You will never you, you can sin less, but you will never be sinless until we get to heaven. You can sin less. But you will never be completely sinless until we get to heaven. So we need to understand. I'm going through all this because I want to define what a win looks like. It's important that we define what a win looks like. So that we're all aiming for a win. Sinless perfection here on the earth is not a win. It is an impossibility. And you say, Pastor, why are we even talking about that? Because there are entire Christian groups out there that teach that you can stop sinning here on the earth if you're sanctified holy. Now, while I believe that we can go longer and longer and longer in between, when I give place to anger in my heart, like one of my kids does something and I'm bam, and I I let that well up in me not the temptation to get angry, but I let it take place in my heart and I, and I brew on that for a couple hours, I'm, I'm crossing the line into sin. And my outward actions may not show it. Nobody may know. That's sin, though. No. It may not happen every day. That may happen once a week or once a month. But we're never going to hit sinless perfection, but we can go longer and longer and longer. We can begin having victory over temptation scripture tells us that when we're tempted that he does not let us be tempted beyond that which we can stand but when tempted he will provide a way of escape there's plenty of places in the bible that says that we can beat this temptation beast and i want you to to grab a hold of that today that promise here's why you need to grab a hold of it And why it's so important in another aspect other than the sinless life. There's another problem. Christians tell people all the time. And I don't think we really think through what we're doing when we do this. But we say, well, if you give your life to Jesus Christ, you'll have lasting joy, peace, happiness, and life fulfillment. You, and you'll be able to beat sin. You get You get saved. And victory is yours. Show me that in the Bible. Anywhere. It's not there. But what is there is that we can walk in victory. It's not automatic upon the day we get saved, but it's something that we can walk in. What is promised in Scripture is better than you get saved and you get sanctified automatically and that you're holy there's a better promise there it's a better promise because it's an actual promise it's a real promise and none of us experienced that i got saved and now i'm all of a sudden holy if we're honest and we just stood up and started confessing we'd be here all day with everybody confessing with the struggles and the sins that are going on in their life okay so what is a better promise let's look at hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 through 18 and we'll see a better promise Here's what it says. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You may be reading from a different translation. That's okay. They're all just translations. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power over death, that is, the devil, and deliver all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. us needing to have a theology of suffering as Christians. And I believe this wholeheartedly, that we need to have a theology of suffering. You may have missed last week's service due to the weather. I never cancel service so far in 11 years of ministry, and I don't plan on starting. Okay? If, if I'm not able to get out of my driveway, Keith. We'll lead, or somebody, no. Whoever's here, right? Whoever's here. It's really hard to cancel service. It's like there's no no radio station we all tune into to listen, right? And so we're faithful to just continue to go on for those who were able to make it. That's not a beat-up for you if you got stuck in your driveway last week. I understand. I barely got here, okay? But it's very important that you go to www.occachurch.com. On the upper left-hand side, look for the link that says audio sermons and listen to the sermon, A Theology of Suffering. It's very important because if you miss a sermon in the series, you're going to be missing a big piece of a puzzle. So anytime you miss, please go listen to the sermon that you missed. This sermon is building on last week's sermon because Paul's, or excuse me, the writer of Hebrews' train of thought builds upon the previous concepts so go and listen to those the basic point of last week's sermon is that god uses suffering in the life in the life of christians in many ways and this was evidenced in jesus life first and it is a concept we want to explore because of the ramifications it has for us as children of god One way that God used suffering in the life of Jesus in a specific way is that Jesus' suffering broke the chains of our slavery to sin. Look there in verse 14 or 15. Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power over death, that is the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now I had a sister ask me about this recently. About this concept, though she didn't know she was asking about it. When we're not in the kingdom of God and when we have not experienced that victory, we struggle with this fear and we ask this questions of what's it all for? Why are we doing this? What what, what makes this worthwhile? Why What's the purpose? The natural result of that is well, there's nothing after, after this except for death and so I might as well go on and just do whatever I'm going to do here on the earth. Because well, death Is the end of it all. We get locked in this slavery to the sphere of death, and it comes out in our life as us pursuing anything that we can come up with that might just give us a little bit of peace. Maybe it's a joint, a line of coke, a pornographic picture. Right? Getting down to the bottom of the bottle of Jack. Maybe it's maybe, you know, for me, one of my big things from my old life, gambling. I mean, I had a lose the house kind of gambling problem. You know? Just something to bring fulfillment, something to bring all of those things. And 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 you know and I'm not trying to tell you this morning that you know any pleasure here on earth is bad. You know there's there's things that are okay in and of themselves are not evil. But we have this this struggle that's going on because of this fear of death, but Jesus he suffered to break the chains to that. But this is where people get confused. Well, this, this, this broken chains, they happened. It, the, the, the chains are broken, and so I should be free from this, and I no longer live this way. But let me ask you guys if you've ever heard about this going on in somebody's life. You have a guy or a gal who is in prison for 25 to life. 20 years in, they get paroled. And they go, I don't want to go out there. I don't like it in here, but I know how to survive in here. And I've been out of that so long. That is scary. You could probably ask Dave and he could tell you about guys who come back. And when you really get to talking about him, because he's a prison guard, when you really get to talking to him, they went out and sabotaged themselves because they didn't know how to cope out there. The shackles were taken off so they could walk in freedom, but freedom is such a foreign concept to them, they would rather live like they're in slavery. It happens all the time. Not talking about Christians. I did a little bit of prison ministry, not a ton, when we were in Kentucky, and I met uh, this this guy. uh, I can't remember his name right now off the top of my head, you know. And this this guy, he was, in his words, when he was in prison the first two times, he was the she on the yard. He, in an all male prison, portrayed himself to be a woman. He got paroled the first time and intentionally got himself sent back to prison. Violated his parole on purpose because he couldn't survive out there. Says it was the best thing that ever happened to him. Because the second time he comes back, he's the she on the yard again. And then he gets saved. And then somebody starts walking him through this. And a couple of years after he gives his life to the Lord, he gives up his homosexual tendencies now, when you're the she on the yard and you give up your homosexual tendencies, a lot of times you've got to be asked to be put in protective custody, because now they will come and try to kill you. And the man was in protective custody till he served out and he was almost he was six months from serving out, I think when I met him. But he felt like he could walk free for the first time because somebody had been talking with him, working with him, walking through with him, helping him cope, helping him learn all of these things. Revealed this truth to him that that you're set free, but there's more to it than it just being done. The shackles are off your feet, now walk out of them. It would be great if it was true that just because we got saved, we could be sin free. That'd be awesome if that was true. But the writer of the book of Hebrews wrote this passage to encourage Christians in time of trial. That's what the whole book was written for. The book of Hebrews is written to Christians. As is the majority of the New Testament. It's written for believers, not for unbelievers. It was to encourage us in times of trial. So Christians are being tempted that Jesus' suffering excuse me so christians are being reminded that jesus suffering broke their chains and slavery to sin which implies to me that a lot of us must not be experiencing this freedom and this is good news you're going like what this is good news yes because it means you're not the only christian who's ever struggled with beating temptation you're not alone. You're not the Christian moron. Can I get amen, something? You're not the Christian moron. You're not the, you're not the dumb one that doesn't get it. Right? We all struggle with this at one time or another. Understand, this is good news. You're not alone. Because what the enemy likes to do is tell us we're the only one. And then the shame keeps us from sharing. And it stays in the dark. And then what's in the darkness ends up dominating our life. But can I tell you how to beat darkness instantaneously? Flip on a light. You're in a dark room. You flip on a light. The darkness... Fleas. We're flipping on a spiritual light today. You're not alone in this. You're so not alone in this that God made sure it made it in Scripture that all Christians struggle with this. You're not the special ed one. You're not not in the slow class. I need you to grab a hold of that. Positionally, we're saints in the kingdom of God. I am a saint, but practically, I sometimes sin. I sometimes struggle with temptation to sin and have victory over it. That is the normal Christian life. Because we exist in a a spiritual reality that has a temporal experience this body all of these these are temporary our spiritual reality is that our spirit is created to live for all eternity and the enemy of your soul of your spirit wants to destroy you and so we live inside of this reality that we all struggle and we all have to wake up and open our eyes and see i'm in this battle not alone but with plenty of other people who are walking in it too You're not the only one that's ever struggled. But you know, there's more good news here in this. Jesus loves you so much, he endured hardship and suffering in order for you to have victory in this area. Let's look at verses 16 through 17. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made and like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, you got to check out how cool this is. We, as Christians think angels are cool i know a lot of christians who think they're i mean hey we do we have decorations we put them on the top of our christmas tree people will get little statues of them they'll collect them all of these things they're they're cool there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with you thinking that angels are cool there's nothing wrong with you decorating with them my grandma god woman i've ever met in my life collected all kinds of angels okay what's that yeah that's what i said godliest oh if it sounded like i said ungodliest then i apologize got the godliest woman i've ever met love the lord with everything she had they're cool angels are high and honored servants of god most high satan is an angel who was booted out of heaven for his rebellion. And there is no plan of redemption for the angels. An angel who rebels against God has no plan of salvation. An angel who sins against God Most High has no plan of salvation. As cool as they are, as neat as they are to be ministering spirits of God, as neat as it is that they have access to the throne room of grace, as neat as all of this is, you are more important to God than they are. It doesn't say in these verses that God first became an angel and then lived this angel life for a while to redeem the angels. No. No. It says that he was made in the image and likeness of those who are in the faith of Abraham, of Abraham's children. He became a man, a human being, to walk this earth, to live this sinless life, to be, to be scourged, to suffer, to endure temptation and trials. Why? So that he could relate to you. Remember last week, if you were here, I told you that sometimes our suffering helps us to relate to others. This passage of scripture, therefore, in verse 17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become merciful and a faithful high priest in the service of God. So he could relate to us. So he could relate to us. Verse 18 sums it up. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Because he himself suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Because he himself endured trial and pain, he's able to help Jeff when Jeff is going through it he's able to help Charlie when Charlie's struggling and he's able to help Wendy when Wendy says I might be at my wits end here I'm going to kill Dan <laughs> I'm sorry I got Wendy confused with my wife Dan I apologize <laughs> yeah. he's able to help why because he was he suffered and was tempted like us He's able to give us victory in this. But what is the point of all of this? What's the point of all this, Pastor? That might be the question you're asking. I don't know. The point of all of this is quite simply that Jesus has suffered as a human in order to empower us to have victory in every area of our life. One possible area that's mentioned is is in verse 18 where he helps us to beat temptation. But I need you to understand, I said some words here that are very important for you to get. Jesus' experience as human has made it possible for him to empower us to beat temptation in our lives. It has made it possible. It does not make it automatic, it is possible. Now, I want to bear this truth out. There's plenty of places in Scripture where it bears it out, and we're going to deal with those in homework this week. But I want to bear this truth out in, our, in all of our experience. If you have been sin-free since you got saved, raise your hand. I don't see any hands, including mine. So therefore, in our experience, it hasn't happened or... We're all lost and going to hell still. One or the other. Friends, it's possible. There's many born-again people in here who love the Lord Jesus with all their heart, and I know it. Victory is possible, but it's not automatic. I want to break the lie of the enemy In your life right now. That just because you're a Christian means that you should have victory in every area. And when you don't have victory in every area, you start thinking, you know, well, I must be the the bad one. I must be the dumb one. I must be all of this. No, it's normal. I know I'm repeating a lot of the same concepts, rewording it, the same concept over and over again, because you need to get it. I'm sick of saying it, to be honest with you, but I think it's just now starting to sink in. There is a very real possibility for us to live and walk in victory, but it is not automatic in our lives. I'm going to say it one more time. This is not an automatic thing that happens when we get saved. Instead, it is a promise from God that we must appropriate through faith. How does this happen? People use varying terminologies all across Christendom to explain this. It really depends on the church background you're from. Okay? Some people say it's when you get filled with the Spirit. Other people say it's walking in the Spirit. Other people say it's empowered by the Spirit. Other people say it's baptized in the Spirit. That's the one I like. That's the one that scares most people, though. (laughs) Other people say it's sanctified and set apart. Other people say consecrated unto God. Other people say etc., etc., etc. We can just keep going on and on and on with the list. Now, I like the baptized in the spirit part. That's the one I like. Because it's what John said. It's what what John the Baptist said. He said, hey, I baptize you with water, but there's one who's coming after me whose sandals I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie. He'll baptize you with the spirit and fire. Now there's this brand of theology that goes around that says, "Well, on the day I got saved, I was baptized in God's Spirit." No, you were sealed in it, set apart. You're going to read in your homework this week in Acts chapter 19. There's some people who it says are disciples, who when they're asked, "Hey, when you got baptized, what how did what happened? Did you hear about the Spirit?" And they're going, "No, we didn't even hear." We didn't even hear about the Spirit. We didn't, we didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. And then they said, well, what baptism did you get back? Well, I got baptized in the water. And i are like, oh, dude, we got to totally explain this concept to you. And they spell it all out. Now, let's just be honest why we, why we get scared about this. It's for a couple of reasons. Well, what happens if something weird happens? Man, I'm about as weird as they come. I've already happened to you.
1: <laughs> okay?
0: So I can't get any weirder. Right? Another, you know, another issue, and, and I'll go back to the weird thing in just a second. Another issue is, well, it's just one more thing. Yes, it is. It is just one more thing. I can't take that way. Hello? Nobody has Jesus all the way figured out who's walking here on the earth. Nobody. The Scripture says that. It says, for now we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the imperfect will pass away. Now some people want to say the perfect is the closed canon of Scripture, but there's no way in the Greek it can mean that. The perfect is the consummation of the end of the age. It's when Jesus comes back and heaven and earth are one. When that happens, we'll, we'll know fully and we'll be fully known and we won't struggle with this anymore. lost my train of thought and I'm trying to get it back on. Let me go back to the weird thing. I know I say this and I know everybody giggles and they don't really think I believe it, but truly I do. I'm going to use Polly as a positive example. Polly, one day we were working with numbers, all of this budget stuff and Polly looks at me and goes, Pastor, would you leave me alone and let me do this? I love this. And I said, I think you have to get the gift of administration. By the way, that's weird to me that she loves numbers. It's strange. I would rather Polly speak in tongues than, than, than like numbers, you know? That's weird to me because I'm like, uh, I took one math class in college. One, the one they made me take. Okay, the numbers, that's bizarre. There are people in this church who really get joy out of scrubbing toilets. That is weird to me. I've never seen Brian Schreffler complain when somebody said, and maybe he does to Carol all the time and I'm getting ready to bust him out, but I've never seen Brian complain when it's like, hey, the building's messed up and we need to get a team to fix it. Brian is always with a smile on his face. Okay, man, we'll get it worked out. That's strange to me. Right? Oh, joy, work? woo That's the bizarre stuff to me. It goes back to the temptation thing. I think it's weird that you don't like collard greens. Let me just say it this way. Here, we'll go to the bizarre thing again. Francis Chan said it this way one time. He's preaching a sermon. And, and he's, he, he takes a couple dollar bills and he throws it out. And everybody just kind of sits there like we all are. And he's like, I don't understand, man. We should be scrambling for this. We should be scrambling for this $2. He said, this is a month's worth of salary for the majority of the planet. They live off of $2 a month. He says, now you're looking at me like I'm weird. This wasn't his main point of asserting. You're looking at me like I'm weird. You're looking at me like, well, you're talking about Chinese people, Pastor, and you care about this because you're Chinese. For those of you who didn't know, Francis Chan's Chinese. Okay, And he says, it's not weird that I'm Chinese. It's weird that you're not. (laughs) Because there's more Chinese people in the world than there are us. Right? Weird is just a matter of Perspective. Weird is just a matter of perspective. But as we wrestle with this weird concept, are you going to let weird, the fact that you might be weird, keep you away from experiencing victory in this area? The record producers tried to keep DC Talk away from it. Do you know how the song Jesus Freak, that album, was created? They came to DC Talk and they said, guys, you got to tone down this Jesus message On before they made the Jesus Freak album. They said, You got to tone this Jesus message down. Like, we're cool that you guys are Christian, but you know, you guys could cross over into mainstream. You got to tone it down. People are going to think you're weird. DC Talk's response to the record company telling them that was the album Jesus Freak. How does it go? What would people do if they knew that I'm a Jesus freak? What would people do if they find that it's true? I don't really care if they label me a Jesus freak. There ain't no disguising the truth. They don't care that people think they're weird. I have a friend of mine. She's one of the best snowboarders in the world. For women's halfpipe, her name's Kelly Clark. Next time you see her compete in the Sochi Olympics, as long as she's not injured, watch her. She's standing at the top of the halfpipe every time. And if they... If they get in close enough to her, you'll hear, girl cannot sing for nothing. Woo, it's bad. Girl cannot hold a tune in a bucket, and she knows it. And she will be up there wailing on praise songs. She doesn't care if people think she's weird. She knows what it means to be in the world, but not of the world. So if you go through this and you say, you know what, I I do want to be baptized in God's Spirit. I do want to be filled with the Spirit. I do want to walk according to the Spirit. I may be weird. And it's going to be okay that I'm weird. Because he calls me to be different. He calls me to be salt and light. The church is not supposed to look like the world. That doesn't mean we can't have projectors or music or carpet or air conditioning or any of that stuff. It means that we have to live life set apart to him serving him with everything that we do okay our church has a core value concerning the empowerment of god's spirit in our lives here's what it says without the empowerment of the spirit we can accomplish nothing let's do it let's all say the last word together without the empowerment of god's spirit we can accomplish nothing The thing about these different descriptors, filled with spirit, walking in the spirit, empowered by the spirit, baptized in the spirit, sanctified and set apart, consecrated, don't worry about translating it all, Bonnie. I know I just blasted through it. (laughs) So the thing about all of those, they're descriptors of the same thing. And they all agree that this isn't automatic in the life of a believer. Rather, it is something that is accomplished at a definite time subsequent, or the word after, conversion. Our statement of faith as a Christian Missionary Alliance Church says that is the will of God that each believer be set apart wholly unto God. It goes through this whole description of what that looks like, and then it says this happened subsequent to conversion. Now, with Kelly Wilson, it happened like two minutes after she got saved, because I'm like, I'm just going to explain this. Right? Let's not let Kelly walk in defeat for years. But it's another truth. Can you go to heaven if you never get filled with the Spirit? Shake your head. Yes. Yes, you can. This isn't a salvation thing. This is a victory on the earth thing. This is a walking it out and having victory on the earth thing. And I know that this is a touchy-touchy area. That's why we have homework. The homework this week seeks to accomplish two things. First, it seeks to show that this this empowerment to beat sin is really available to us as believers. But it also serves to show that this happens after we become a Christian and we must pursue it. That it is something that we must pursue or seek, or chase, or fill in the blank with your own word. Tuesday's homework in particular shows that a person can be a disciple without ever having heard of this. Thus, they're clearly not experiencing it in their daily lives. That's the the Acts chapter 19 passage. What I want you to get a hold of today is this. What I want you to get a hold of this week is this. Filling with God's Spirit is not automatic. I don't care what you've been taught in church. Read the Bible and see if the Bible says it's automatic. Hence, homework. Monday, Acts 1, 6 through 8. Tuesday, Acts 19, 1 through 7. Wednesday, Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. Thursday, Galatians five, sixteen through twenty five. Friday, Romans eight, seventeen. Saturday, Luke three, fifteen through seventeen. Read that, pray through that. Let the let the God of all the universe be the one who convinces you. I don't want to convince you. Because quite frankly, I'm an idiot sometimes. But the God of all the universe, he's not. He's faithful and good. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for this truth, that we can have victory beating sin. That we can conquer this in our life. Not that it's completely eradicated, Lord. Lord, we're not teaching the eradication of, of the sinful nature. Because, Lord, we know that that's not accomplished until we're with you in heaven. But, Lord, we can have more and more victory, increasing levels of victory beating sin. We can grow in Christ-like character. And, Lord, I thank you that the book of Hebrews is written to Christians so that we all don't feel like we're we're the dumb one in the class. Lord, speak this week through homework. Transform our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said,